You're listening to a podcast from Hicksville Cornerstone Church. For more information about the church, visit us at hickscc.org. That's H-I-X-C-C.org. Thanks for listening. Today, we're going to answer the question of what is faith? Cheat in your Bibles to Hebrews 11. If you want, we're continuing our study through the book of Hebrews. But the question of what is faith is a very important question. Faith is not something in our culture that is actually ostracized. Every politician, no matter what political party, when they get up and they, you know, pound their pulpit on the campaign trail, they will all talk about their faith. Faith is talked about on sitcoms, on morning talk shows, and even evening comedy programming. The problem in our culture where we seem to have friction is not the abandonment of faith, but a redefinition of it. So what is faith? It's a question that is answered multiple different ways. If your esteemed atheist scientist, Richard Dawkins, in what his book is titled The God Delusion, this is how he defines faith. Faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is the belief in spite of, even perhaps because of, the lack of evidence. Is that faith? Famous atheist philosopher Voltaire would tell you the same thing. Faith consists in believing when it is beyond the power of reason to believe. And Dan Brown, author of The Da Vinci Code, makes the same claim. That that is the definition of faith, acceptance of that which we imagine to be true, that which we cannot prove. Is faith simply grasping at something that we cannot prove? Oprah Winfrey will tell you that she is a Christian and that that is her faith. Her faith to Oprah is extremely personal. It is found from the inside out. And someone else can have a completely different and equally legitimate faith. And this belief is not just believed by her. This idea has been around from, for quite a long time. Uh, Lebanese poet Khalil Gibran stated, I believe, Oprah's belief much more beautifully. This is what Khalil said. She said, faith, well, he, faith is an oasis in the heart which will never be reached by the caravan of thinking. Is that faith? Is faith so personal that no one can question it? Is faith so internal that no one can have access to it? What about the idea of faith being outside of oneself for our own immediate good? Famous theologian Dwayne Chapman, a.k.a. Dog the Bounty Hunter, defines faith as this. 
Faith is the substance of hope, of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So if you can hope for it and imagine it and keep imagining and hoping and seeing yourself driving a new car or seeing yourself getting that job or seeing yourself excel, seeing yourself help that person, that is faith. Is faith then more directional? How you hope to see things unfold? Is that faith? In today's passage, it's all about faith. It's called the Hall of Faith by many theologians. This is all of chapter 11. And at some point in the future, I do hope that we get to revisit it because this really would make a great sermon series. However, for today, we're going to get right to the heart of the passage. And like the heart of most passages in Scripture, that's where we find our Savior Jesus. For while the faith of these men and women are to be applauded and mimicked, they did not have faith for recognition. Their faith recognized the object of their faith, their Savior. Today's passage makes much of the object of our faith. You see, the main theme of Hebrews 11 is to trust in God, to trust in God. One of you this morning, I won't call her out because she hate that, but one of you posted something interesting on Facebook this morning, started the sermon for me, right? It's one thing to believe in God. It's a whole other thing to trust in him, isn't it? And that's what we see this morning in the passage. And that means that what faith is, what our definition of faith is, must be addressed. So we'll do that at the beginning today. And we'll be reminded of what faith is, that we can hold fast to it, that we can be commended for it. And then we'll end our sermon by reading the text. So it'll be very different today, okay? That's a curveball for you, I know. I typically read and then we exegete. We're going to exegete a little and then read with the hope that when we read it, We can see it more fully, more honestly, and more beautifully, the hall of faith that it gives us and the beauty of our Savior. So we have to ask the question, what is faith? And while the world has given us a various degree and multiple definition, Scripture actually gives us a clear one within the text today. Now, faith is is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Notice that faith here is not a feeling. It is not a statement of, I really hope this is true. I have faith that it is. It means to be certain of something. Take a look at the two key words within the definition, assurance and conviction. Dr. Michael Kruger gives, I think, a very clear definition in his commentary. This is what he says. Faith is a rock-solid trust that when God makes a promise, it is true and right. It is absolute assurance and confidence that God's word can be relied upon. Now, this is a bold idea within our culture. 
If you are to walk around the office or the factory floor or the fairgrounds with this type of faith, you will at minimum be seen as arrogant and at most be seen as bigoted because we hold certain things to be true. If we claim faith with certainty and conviction, that means we will actually hold to a position that someone else's version of a religion is not true. And this is far from fashionable in our culture. It flies right against our culture. Does that mean that we will never doubt over the course of our lives? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Doubt is a very normal part of the, of the normal Christian life. That's part of the game. However, the Christian should respond to doubt differently than the non-Christian. I have some very dear non-Christian friends that hold to doubt as an idol. They love to doubt. Heck, to be human is to doubt. And so they spend the good majority of their time poking holes in everyone else's opinions and worldview, but never actually stating their own. Because it's real easy to look smart when you doubt. And it looks foolish to hold something with certainty. By contrast, Christians should believe certain truths, even though, like weeks like this week, it might be hard to hold on to them. And when we struggle with doubt, the scriptures tell us to fight it and to not embrace it as the culture does. We look to God. We don't abandon him. St. Thomas Aquinas gives clarity to the difference someone holds to faith and someone who does not. This is an 800-year-old quote, which still speaks to our culture today. If you've never read Thomas, he's, he's a Catholic theologian, but he's, he's very interesting, and he actually holds to a, a lot of evangelical ideas. This is what he says. To one who has faith, no explanation is necessary. And to one without faith, no explanation is possible. It's the difference between one who trusts God and one who doesn't. That's the difference at the end of the day. And that's why we have to look to the object of our faith. This is why the object of our faith is so important. If our assurance is only based on how we feel in the moment, our faith will be fleeting. We might wake up in the morning and our feelings might tell us, I have no faith. Thank God for assurance and conviction of our faith that it's not based on how I feel in the morning, how I feel after an amazing sermon on a Sunday, how I feel after I get that phone call from the doctor. The assurance of our faith does not point to our feelings, but points to a person, Jesus of Nazareth. For he never changes. His love and care for his people is unfailing. His disposition towards sinners who have repented and are clothed in righteousness does not change by how we feel in the moment. Let me use an example of a plane. 
If I got on a little Cessna 172, okay, and I was leaving from New York, and I was full of great confidence that I could make it to London, I feel very sure of it. It doesn't matter, y'all, how I feel about my little Cessna in that moment because the object of my faith will not get me to London. It'll get me somewhere around where the Titanic went down. And you all would be looking for me for a very long time. I'll survive. I have no fear of the sea. But if I got on in a Boeing 747 in New York City, and let's say in the middle of that Boeing 747, I have a lot of fear, right? I'm scared of flying. I've watched some awful movies the day before that depict, you know, like snakes on a plane, stuff like that, you know, classics. I've watched a movie the night before that just makes, I'm not, we're not getting to London. Because even if my faith is fleeting in that moment, because the object of my faith is actually able to carry me towards my destination, it does not matter how I feel as I'm on the plane. More than likely, I'm going to get there. Especially if you fly British Airways, but that's another conversation. Our faith is linked to a person. And that person has given us two things that we're going to see in the text today. He's given us a testimony and he's given us a promise. And it's not just any testimony or promise. It's his testimony and promise. Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. His promise is the things hoped for within the text. The things to come. His testimony is the things that have happened in the past that many of us weren't around to see. And what this section of Scripture so clearly demonstrates to the reader is it lays out the promises that God has already kept. It lays out his testimony. It lays out the story of redemption and says he is the promise maker and he is the promise keeper. So because of the promises of God kept in the past, we can look to the promises of God that are to be kept in the future, namely that he will return. He will make all things right. He will bring ultimate healing. He will bring peace and comfort. Church. There'll be a day when we can send our kids to school and not worry about gunfire. There'll be a day when we can go get food at the grocery market and only have to worry about what's in our cart. There will be a day when armies on the other side of the world will lay down their arms, where bombs will no longer be dropped to gain an empire. There will be a day when the ones in charge will not be in the back pockets of big pharma or big corporations and their own special interest groups. There will be a day when we will be able to look in the mirror and not have our feelings define our identity, but we'll see ourselves the way that God sees us. There will be a day when a phone call from a doctor will not be an invitation to an operating table, but will be an invitation to the dinner table. There will be a day where we won't have to say goodbye to family and friends. 
friends. There will be a day where I will meet my grandparents again who went on before me and a child I never got to hold on this earth. And those things are not true because I feel like they are true today, but because my faith is on the rock and the cornerstone. And it is is in what he has done and what he has promised to do. This is the faith that you're called to, Christian. This is the faith that is modeled to us by our ancestors. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. He's talking about our ancestors here. He's not talking about old people, okay? Just so you know. Well, what's the commendation? In the Old Testament, the people of God had the testimony of their ancestors to cling to the hope of the Savior to come. I've said it before, Uh, I've quoted Pastor Shilin before, and I think he puts it best. What the New Testament saints received on debit, the Old Testament saints received on credit. Either way, the object of our faith paid the debt. The Old Testament saints clung to the word of God, the Ebenezer stones among them, the sacrifices that happened yearly that pointed to the Savior to come, but they, like us, had to have faith. They had to trust God with the stories that had come before and the great story yet to come. They weren't there at creation. They, most of them weren't there at the garden or the flood or the exodus. You name the event, most Hebrews weren't there for them. They had to trust God and the testimony that had come behind them and the promise of the Savior to come. And by faith, They received their commendation. They received salvation and eternity. Now one must ask, especially in our Enlightenment Western culture, for both the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints, is our faith groundless? Is our faith groundless? Is Richard Dawkins right when he says that when Christians deal with faith, they must abandon the evidence Christian, we have tremendous historical evidence that confirms what we know by faith. While the oscillating universe theory was at one time vogue among among scientists, the vast majority of scientists now agree that the universe had a beginning. We also know that life is immensely complex. Think about this. A single-celled amoeba, a a single, a single-celled amoeba has as much information in it as a thousand volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica. That's how much DNA codes in a single amoeba, let alone you and me. Okay? Atheist scientists will tell you that the complexities of the universe with all its mathematical constants that make up its, make its current existence possible, which is so grand a number that it's hard to quantify, they'll tell you that all this came from nothing. Just as they will tell you that a pile of goo and a lightning bolt and enough time will write code that is as thick as a thousand volumes of an Encyclopedia Britannica put in a cell, and oh, by the way, in that code is the ability to self-replicate. That's an interesting, clever feature that chance just happened to put in there. 
They will say that nothing created something. That is Dr. Lawrence Krauss's position in his book, A Universe from Nothing. Hear me. You can have faith in two things the way I can see it. One is God, an uncaused first cause, or nothing. And to have faith in nothing is drastically more profound and dangerous than to have faith in something. For the atheist to claim that our faith is groundless, they must themselves realize that they literally stand on a faith of nothing. Nothing created something to the atheist, and it did it with precision. Bravo, atheist. Checkmate. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I'd, I'd rather believe in something than nothing. The same goes with the other side of Christ's life and death. Calvary is one of the most documented historical events that ever happened. Even the enemies of the church, the guys that didn't like them, right? Even the enemies of the church, that the Christians had faith that Jesus actually rose from the dead and were willing to die for that faith. People die for what they believe all the time. No one dies for what they know to be false. And that's what would be the position of the disciples. If you doubt the work of Christ, I plead with you to consider the evidence. It's overwhelming. But faith is not just what God has already done. It's his testimony. It's what he's promised to do in the future. And if you're like me, that becomes the harder part. We can't see it. We have to trust that when God paints a glorious picture, that it might include our suffering. As we're going to read in Hebrews 11, we will see that the author is alluding to the second coming of Christ towards the end. We can look back at creation with faith, but we also have to look forward to the new creation in faith. And this is where it gets hard, right? We can talk about all these big events, all these historical events, but again, where the rubber meets the road is whether I trust God today in life with the obstacles that are directly in front of you. That's much harder than trusting the faith of our ancestors at times. Because the faith of our ancestors rarely hurts. The obstacles that we face hurt daily. It's where our rubber hits the road. We have to have faith that God will get us through the valley of the shadow. That God will get us through job loss, health loss, financial loss, political loss, whatever loss. And, and this is exactly where our faith kicks in. Part of faith is trusting that God will provide for you. Walk before you and keep his promises to you even when all looks like it's lost. Oswald Chambers gives us a definition of faith that I think is very encouraging. Faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. Peter did not understand what God was up to after he denied him three times, saw his Savior crucified, 
and saw this movement that he'd been involved in for the last three to five years come to a crashing halt. The church in Jerusalem did not understand what God was up to when Stephen was stoned to death. The church of Ephesus did not understand why Paul was tortured, shipwrecked, imprisoned in those moments. The church of Rome did not know what God was up to during the great persecutions under Nero. The history of the church is one of pain and suffering, much of which we are called to enter into. See last week's sermon if you missed that one. But it is also a history of hope, assurance, and of faith. So today, church, I'll call you to faith. Trust God with your very life. Trust his testimony and his promises. Cling to the object of your faith when life is hard. If you're here today and you are not a Christian, I give you the same call. Cling to faith. Rooted in the testimony and the promises of Jesus Christ. He does not fail. Everyone's favorite saint, St. Augustine, ends with this. Faith is to believe what you do not see. The reward of this faith is to see what, and I think it's better, but who you believe. Stand with me for the reading of God's word. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are invisible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him by faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseed is reverent fear constructed an ark for saving of his household by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob heirs with him of the same promise for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age 
since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born the descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they were seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, when he had grown up, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish when those who were being disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time shall fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of, of David, of Samuel, of the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stones. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised at that time. Since God had provided something better for us, That is what's to come. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You see, the saints of old and us, we will all at the end of days stand before a glorious God and he will invite us to a freedom that we have yet to experience here on this earth. A freedom to live without sin 
a freedom that is not defined by what I want in a moment, but a freedom that is found upon the rock. It's found upon the rock. That day of freedom, our chains will be broken, and we will get to embrace our Savior. More importantly, our Savior will desire to embrace us. Amen? Bow your heads with me.